Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. The dots and the passes, but they score. Matthew Barzol. Yes, you said, yeah, you said. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. Six oh one on a Friday, sweet, sweet, but cold Friday. It is Halford. It is rough. It is Sportsnet six fifty. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good, 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 good morning. Oh, that's because he's chattering. His teeth are chattering. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, we got a big show on a Friday. Got a Canucks game, another win, naturally, to look back on. A bunch of guests. We have two giveaways today, so let's get to it. Uh, What's happening on the program? 6.30, Nick Shook, our good buddy, from NFL.com is going to join us ahead of wildcard weekend. I'm pretty excited about this weekend. It is so cold. It feels like we're living on the surface of the moon, which means you can't go outside. You're forced to stay inside. Mm-hmm. All the sporting activities uh, recreationally are going to be canceled this weekend because it's too cold. Right. I'm going to sit inside and watch sports, specifically football, all weekend. Nick Shook's going to walk us through all the wildcard games. The uh, boy still has to go play hockey, unfortunately, so I have to take him to a couple of games. But one sport. They should, they should cancel hockey. They should. It's It'll be cool. one of those where uh, you're in the rink and you come outside and you'll be like, it was warmer in the rink. <laughs> I miss the ice. <laughs> 6.30, Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us. 7 o'clock, it's AJ from AJ's Pizza. He's going to join us as he does every Friday here to set up what's going on at his shop over the weekend. We're also going to give away a $100 gift card to AJ's Pizza for the best Ask Us Anything. So, how that's going to work, you're going to text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Ask us anything. A weekly occurrence on the Halford & Bruff show where the name says it all. We try and answer anything you might ask us. Ask us anything. Hashtag it AUA. Put a pizza emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the grand prize contest to win a $100 gift card to AJ's. Uh, 7.30, Moj is going to join us. 8 o'clock, Dollywall is going to join us. We're giving away tickets as well. Final day of this week to the 32 Thoughts live show. That Two go- giveaways? A <laughs> uh, dog. You're you're on fire. Is it? Are you on fire this morning because of the coffee that I purchased you? I, I'm on fire because this is the only way I can warm up. I am a good you're friend a good person? and coworker. Mm-hmm. A dog texted me at 5 a.m. asking if I could buy him a coffee because yeah. your normal route to work was disrupted. Yeah, right? I got outside. I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> So I, so I went back inside and called an Uber. Yeah. And then you called me 
to get you a coffee. Actually, now that I think about it, you're very entitled. You're calling people to give you rides. You're calling people yeah. to get you coffees. Well, you need me. Old entitled dog. <laughs> uh, anyway. And then you bent to his will. You did it. I did it. How oh. was uh, how easy was it to get an Uber? Actually, surprisingly easy. There Five were, in the morning, though. There right? were. I, I was expecting I would have to wait a while. No, there was mm-hmm. like 10 cars in the neighborhood. Just Interesting. Chilling. Okay. So we are giving away 32 Thoughts uh, live show tickets. Last time this week. Reminder, the show is at Wicket Hall. Check my style, Wicket Hall. Uh, Victoria, Thursday, January 18th. Two o'clock start. If you can make it and you want to go, uh, Dunbar number text line, 650-650. Send to what we learned. Ticket emoji. Ticket emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the contest. We mentioned it's Ask Us Anything Friday. Also, our playnow.com locks of the week are back. We're going to do those for Wild Card Weekend. Uh, guest list working in reverse with, really quickly. 8 o'clock, it's Dolly. 7.30, it's Moj. 7, it's AJ. 6.30, it's Nick Shook. Woof! What a start to the show. Okay, without further ado, Laddie, tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Another casual two-goal night for Elias Pettersson. He also tacked on two assists and the OT winner at 3.05 of overtime to help the Vancouver Canucks win their fourth consecutive game and rally after blowing a lead in the third period. 4-3 win over the Penguins at PPG Paints on Thursday. Before we get into anything, let's just bask in the glow of another game winner for Elias Pettersson. Laddie, fire it up. Let me hear what it sounded like. Here's Petey with the winner last night against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. Three on one for the Penguins. Aaron Carlson right wing. Centering pass. Herodic broke it up. Here go the Canucks the other way. Elias Pettersson in alone on a breakaway. Pettersson to the forehead. Scores! Elias Pettersson wins it for the Canucks. Their fourth straight victory. The lotto line pillages the Penguins. And the Canucks take it 4-3 to three in Pittsburgh. Yeah, this game is mostly about two players for me, Elias Pettersson, as you mentioned, Petey, for obvious reasons, scoring twice, including that OT winner, plus a terrific assist on Besser's game opener. Yep. And really just showed the chemistry of that lineup, uh, showed Petey's patience, his creativity, but also um, Besser's willingness and ability to read off of PD. Uh, he also added a second assist for good measure. And the other guy was Thatcher Demko for making 32 saves on the night, including an incredible sprawling pad save on Sidney Crosby late in the game. Uh, the Penguins did eventually tie the game and send it to overtime, but uh, Sid was really good last night and Sid was feeling it. And uh, Thatcher Demko uh, made a great save off of him and made a bunch of other big saves. Um, yes, JT Miller played well and Besser played well too. And so did Philip Hronik. Um, But Petey, I, I do want to talk about, and we're going to be talking about this guy a lot for what he's doing on the ice. And obviously as that um, expands to what he might do off the ice in terms of a contract extension, he has been on another level since the lotto line was reunited. That is what, four straight Game-winning goals? That- One more game-winning goal, and he will tie the NHL record held by Newsy Lalonde. I just wanted to get a Newsy Lalonde reference in there. That is incredible, and 
it's going to be real hard for Rick Tockett to break that line up. And you know how I know that. Uh, Rick Tockett said so after the game. He said it's going to be real hard to break that line up. Probably give him another game. And it makes you wonder how it might affect management's plans at the deadline. We'll get into that later in this segment. Um, do we have any... Um, Rick talk at audio on how the team has performed with leads in the third period. Uh, here's Rick Tockett on the Canucks not getting rattled when the pressure's on. Yeah, pretty resilient group. You know, there's moments obviously we got to clean up, but I thought, you know, you know, the bench, I, I got to admit, sometimes when the pressure's on us, um, you know, guys aren't getting rattled, and that's good. That's a good thing. You know, uh, um, you know, we want to we want to stick to our game as as, well, as much as possible. We don't want to back in. We just want to flip pucks out. And I think we, we're really good against the Islanders under pressure. I thought tonight, when obviously Crosby's, he was all rolled again tonight. So, um, you know, when you get a, a guy that caliber out there, um, it makes some guys get a little jumpy. Yeah, he doesn't want he doesn't want uh, the Canucks to just panic and start trying to, as he puts it, flip pucks out. Yeah. He wants the guys to make a play, but there's always that fine balance, right? 100%. It's you kind can't of be like, reckless. I want you to make a play, but, you know, not one of those crazy plays. I always say, it's like, I want you to make a play, just not that play. <laughs> I want you to make a better, smarter, more defensive play, but don't play defensive. I always imagine that, like, some player who tries to make a play and it doesn't go off, and he's like, but coach, you told me to keep making a play. I was like, yeah, but not that play. Come yeah. on, buddy. No, you know what? All joking aside, it is, it is one tough. Of, it's tough as a coach to um, set that line. Underrated, one of the more difficult things to do um, as a player, but also as a coaching staff, because you need to almost find that unspoken middle ground. It's like, I hate always saying this, but it's like porn. It's like you don't know what it looks like until you see it. You're like, <laughs> yeah. but what, you know, what, how do you classify? Well, it's not that play. It's not that play. And then when someone makes it, you're like, that's the play we want you to make. Mm -hmm. Because it's true. You can't be a, like a riverboat gambler when you're trying to secure a victory and start taking wild so, chances. Sometimes you do have to do glassing out. But yeah. what, what I think his point is, is... He doesn't want the Canucks to go into a shell. Well, that's exactly what he's talking about. With the about, lead. Right? He wants them to still play the game. He still wants them to move their feet. And there is a system in place for the Canucks to be able to use their skills to maintain puck possession and get the puck out and handle uh, the pressure. I remember reading an old coaching manual once. I can't remember the name of the author. It escapes me at the time. But the, the essence of the message was um, you should, when you are playing with a lead, you should continue to play as though you like deserve to be there, like you've earned the lead, the way that you've played. Men no, I like that. The mentality, I like that. yeah, like yeah. you should you should play like you deserve to have it, mm -hmm. and that what you've done, whatever predicated getting that lead, is your your success factors. That's the way that you've been able to get it. Everything shouldn't change simply because the numbers on the scoreboard read in your favor. Like you should approach the game the same way. Now it's almost and yet at the same time impossible yeah. to try and do. And yet at the same time, what did we hear from Rick Tockett um, numerous times? The phrase game management. And a lot of that was playing recklessly with the lead yeah. and last now, season, and that's why they blew so many leads. But I think what they would say is like, yeah, but the players didn't really know what to do. They weren't told what to do mm -hmm. because they didn't have a system that was working for them or they didn't have a system. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and this is, I don't, you know, listen, I'm repeating the party line here, um, but... 
I, it's hard to not repeat the party line because, you know, what the, the management has said is like these players are pretty good players. They just need a system and they need to some direction. And once they get that direction, I think the results will improve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have. Well, if you want to talk about learning lessons throughout a season like last night, I thought I thought Pittsburgh was pretty good. I thought Crosby yeah, was because they are a good team. Yeah, I yeah. thought Crosby was unbelievable. By the way, that Hart Trophy conversation we were having yesterday doesn't seem as far fetched this morning as it did yesterday. Uh, he was unbelievable, and I think as a learning lesson goes for the Canucks, you also have to realize that sometimes good teams are going to play good hockey on you. That's what the P- Penguins yeah. and Crosby did. They're going to respond like both the Rangers and the Penguins responded when the Canucks got the lead. But the Canucks were able to hold on and get the victories. And in the case of Pittsburgh, not necessarily hold on and get the victory, but find a way to get a victory when PD scored in overtime. Yeah, because in a really weird way, it all, might almost benefit the team in the long term to have Crosby have scored that goal with 30 seconds left. Yeah. Because there's the deflation of blowing it. And of course, you're 24 0 0 holding a lead going into the third period, right? So you've got that kind of hanging in the background. But they were able to regroup. There were certain guys that stepped up at certain moments. Demko makes a bunch of big saves in overtime. And then the finish from Pedersen in overtime. Like, you got to understand, when you talk about pressure, you're in a do-or-die frame. You're bearing down on a goalie. you got Sidney Crosby, like, chasing you from behind. Like, that is yeah. a lot of composure to have that kind of deke and that kind of finish. I thought you already stopped it at first. Oh, so did I. Yeah. But then you watch the replay, and you're like, he snuck that through mm-hmm. so calmly these the smallest of spaces. Well, what you're talking about in the Canucks having to deal with the adversity of Sid tying that game on the road, so the arena's alive and the arena, all the fans are expecting. Yeah, well, we just tied it. Now we're going to go win it in overtime, and it was actually an entertaining overtime, uh, it was back and forth compared game. to some of the overtimes we've seen. Um, that is related to the this team's ability to respond to bad games. You know, bad moments are pretty much the same as bad games. And Rick Tockett was asked about the progression of this road trip. And you remember this road trip, the seven-game road trip, still two games to go. Started with a loss in St. Louis against a not very good team in the Blues. And I don't think the Canucks played awfully in that game. It wasn't a terrible effort, but... It wasn't a win, and it was maybe a game that they expected to win. They had chances. Brock Besser had some glorious chances in the third period to make it 2-1, but instead Robert Thomas was the one who beat Thatcher Demko, and the Blues won 2-1. Since then, (laughs) since then, they go into New Jersey, beat up on a beaten-up team, uh, banged-up team, Devils team, but still a, a place where the Canucks have had a lot of trouble in Newark, they dominate the Devils. Uh, they get a win there. They go into Madison Square Garden. Uh, they score a bunch of beautiful goals against one of the top teams in the league in the New York Rangers. They dominate the Islanders. And that was on the second of a back-to-back. Maybe their most impressive game. And then when they're probably feeling pretty tired, they go into Pittsburgh. And I don't think it was any coincidence that the first part of their game was the most impressive. And then maybe they started feeling a bit of the tired legs in the second half of the game. And of course, as Halford mentioned, like Pittsburgh's a good team and yeah. the other team is allowed to do some good things of its own. And when you've got a player like Sidney Crosby and when he's playing like he is right now, they're going to do good things, but they found a way to win. So that's after the St. Louis game, four straight wins. And here's Rick Tockett 
on how the Canucks this season have been a resilient team. You know, I think that's been all year where we've maybe had a couple of duds, you know, and we've managed to do something out there to win a game or, or stay at it. You know, like out of the Philly game and then bouncing back. And then um, it seems like we're bouncing back pretty well. It, in this business, you have to have a short memory. And I think that's what this team does. You know, and then the one thing is when we teach them something, you know, whether it's a, a Newton regroup, the next game, they're usually good at that. Or if our D zone coverage is not good, the next game, you know, they'll, they'll correct it. So that's the one thing, the information they're getting. And they're applying it after, you know, things aren't going well for us. But, um, you know, like I said, it's a... Long road trip, and to be uh, win four games in a row, we're pretty happy. Now, those four games in a row just happened to be the four games that Rick Tockett reunited the lotto line, and mm-hmm. Elias Pettersson seems to like it. And a lot of our conversation has been about how um, the other players, being Besser and Miller, have made Pettersson better and made Pettersson more productive, and I think there's an element of that for sure. But I also think Petey's made those guys better. And so Rick Tockett said after the game, it's going to be hard to break this line up. And never think, never going to break them up. I think most Canucks fans at this point would agree. You never know. There's still half a season to go. There's a lot of things that could happen. Um, but let's say those guys are all healthy going into the playoffs, which we can expect at this point. Um, does this reunification of the lotto line change or affect management's plans because Jim Jim Rutherford is now on the record and he he told to Pierre Lebrun this in an interview in The Athletic. I tweeted it out early today if you want to go read it yourself. You were up early working. I was in bed cowering in bed because it was so (laughs) cold and uh, Rutherford said I think as we speak if we were able to add another top six forward that would give us a better chance. So another top six forward, Jim Rutherford, a guy that likes to make moves, and he's probably going to task Patrick Alvin, go find a top six forward. The question is, if you've got the lotto line back together, so you've got Miller and Petey playing together, that's two centers, or at least how it was for most of the first half of the season, does your need change now from, oh, we got to find a winger to play with PD and Mikheyev or PD and Kuzmenko, or we got another fi- we got to find another winger to play with Miller and Besser? Do you now start looking at centers instead of wingers? I think I don't I don't think you should look at it the way that you just laid it out. I think what you have to you should just look at it as a collective accumulative that you're going to add a top six. Forward, I, I think 100% one hundred percent disagree with. I that. think one of the nice things that you have right now is versatility with your groups. Is that you know that you can play uh, the lotto line together. I think that's been firmly established, right? We can all agree that the lotto line can play together. I would not be surprised, especially uh, come playoff time, if he if Rick Tockett has to go away from that group for whatever reason it might be. Sure, be it injury, be it ineffectiveness, be it matchup problems. Right, you might need to alter the landscape a little bit, and if that's the case, then I think that the goal here should be bolstering the group so you give your um, you give your head coach more options and more lineup wrinkles, and that's where he, that's where he comes in. He's a tactician. He's a matchup guy. That's where I stand for. But you disagree? I, I disagree, just because I think where this management group has had success in is they've specifically identified roles that they've needed to fill, 
and they filled them rather well. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the trade deadline, um, it's really easy to just chase the biggest name possible. Like, oh, Jake Gensel's out there. Chase him. And That'd I, be good. And, and again, yesterday I was pretty pro chasing Jake Gensel, and I still could be depending on how the Canucks look heading into the playoffs or into the deadline. But I think the most important thing is you need to fill a role. Okay. So the question for management is, what do the Canucks need? A winger, center? Um, do they want a player that can also help out on the penalty kill? Um, Rutherford also mentioned that he's always going to look at defensemen, so maybe there's another D-man that can move the puck under pressure. If they're in a pressure situation, maybe it's maybe they look for another puck mover. I, I don't know. Um, but Erickson Eck. Everybody's saying Erickson. Yeah, because he's a great two-way center. Yeah, and he's 26. And he's a little bit, uh, he's got a little bit of edge to him. Mm -hmm. Um, Adam Henrique down in uh, Anaheim, I think, would make sense. Um, Always knew an Erickson would save this Canucks team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Got to rely on those Ericksons. The other name that's out there is Elias Lindholm with Calgary, who we can talk about in just a bit, because the Flames are actually playing pretty well. For me, like, it never hurts to add center depth. Most centers can play the wing if there are too many centers. Mm -hmm. At the very least, they can play it better. Better than wingers who are forced to the middle. But I think this management group, for the most part, has been good about bringing in players and saying, this is going to be your role, as opposed to the previous management group that seemed to flail a little bit and just be like, we're just going to try and bring in talent and see how it all fits together. And what he ended up with was a poorly constructed roster. Yeah. I mean, I my point to my earlier answer to your question, I think kind of stemmed from the fact that we've seen guys uh, move up and down the lineup and plug in and out in different positions with regularity this year. Like, I think Suter is a classic example of a guy that's, I mean, I, I hate calling him a Swiss Army knife because he's Swiss, but, um, you know, he, he's a Swiss Swiss Army knife. Yeah, right. Is that redundant? I don't know. But the, the point being is that he can do different things and play different roles. Now, that's hard to target in an available candidate because you got to remember there's only a handful of guys that are going to be made available at the deadline. I mean, that's yeah. the big thing. You're not shopping at the full grocery store. You're shopping in the discount bin, right, with, like, the expired bouillon cubes and all that stuff in the, in the cart. You know, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, you're only getting a handful of guys that are going to be made available. So it's it does become a part of, well, yeah, we have ideals and things that we really want, but maybe the guy that we're going to get doesn't tick all those boxes. That's why I think finding just the best available player that you can find at forward, be it a winger or a center, and then play around with some of the different combos and options, right? You can always go back to the fact that when you're in dark times, the lotto line will be there for you. It feels like that that's a tried and true thing at this Mm -hmm. point. Because I'm going to... The the numbers right now, I just went back and looked at it. Since the calendar turned to 2024, Elias Pettersson has 14 points in six games. Those are the Nintendo-type numbers that guys get at the beginning of the year. And then we always have those fun, you know, like a guy has four points in his two, first two games, and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, he's on pace for 164 points this year. And then we laugh and clap. But he's doing this in the middle of the season. And, again, on a road swing through the East that is a gauntlet. for mm-hmm. every. T- that's a tough... Tough swing, right? Going New York, New Jersey, New York, or sorry, New Jersey, New York, New York, York, and then Pittsburgh. Those are all really tough games, all really tough teams. They're all hungry for points at this time of the year, too. So the one thing that we do as media and fans is we tend to focus on the top guys that are going to be available. And can we get Jake Gensel, right? Can we get, uh, you know, it's it's always the the top guys that are available. Um, 
I think one of the more impressive things that the Canucks did this offseason was they identified guys that nobody was talking about in Vancouver, and they added them, and they do, they've done really well. Um, and add like an Ian Cole, uh, Teddy Bluger. Um, to be fair to some of the analytics community, they were talking about Pew Suter, especially when he remains, remained resigned, but he wasn't one of the top guys yep. in free agency, and um, they didn't break the bank with those moves either. I like where you're going with this. When it comes to the trade deadline, it's really easy to just chase the biggest name possible. But again, I think you need to fill a role in the process. So the question for management is what do the Canucks need? Um, I think about what two years ago, Arturi Lekkanen added added to the abs. Like Lekkanen wasn't the big name. Or last year, what Barbashev added to Vegas. Um, those were hardly blockbuster deals, and it wasn't like Lekkonen or Barbashev were lighting it up for their previous teams. Like Lekkonen was a good player for Montreal, and Barbashev was a good player for the Blues, but they were able to come in and fill a, a very important role on those good teams, and they were able to, because they were on better teams, take their game to another level because they filled those roles for those teams. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. That When you look back in the annals of trade deadline history, oftentimes the most pivotal um, pivot acquisitions that uh, result in a Stanley Cup for one team are, are depth guys, are third-line forwards or second- or third-pair defensemen who just fit seamlessly yeah. and provide something that the team didn't have prior to it, right? Like the thing about big game hunting sometimes is there is a redundancy where, yeah, we're getting this like high profile winger, but he eats into somebody else's power play time, or he takes minutes away from a guy that was already going well, right? So it'll be very interesting to see what this group does because you bring up a good point. They have been able to find really good solutions on the cheap so far, and it would be awesome if they could do that going into the trade deadline. Okay, coming up on the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650, uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us. We didn't talk about this prior Prior to the show, Jason, we're we're doing this live, but I've got I'm just going to ask Nick six questions, each of them about each game, and I'm going to get his picks for every single wild card game this weekend. We're going to do it with one of the best in the business, breaking down all of the wild card games this weekend with uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com. That's coming up next on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. You know, I think that's been all year where we've maybe had a couple of duds. You got the dud. <laughs> <laughs> He looks just like you, Poindexter. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Friday. It's a Fiesta Friday to celebrate the minus 12 temperatures outside. Feeling festive? Feeling Fiesta? Are you feeling freezing? Could have been worse. Could be like Alberta right now where it's the hottest place is negative 32. 
Okay, it's not couple, that. I'm glad you brought that up. A couple quick PSAs. It is a very Canadian tradition to make fun of Vancouverites whenever we complain about it getting cold. For example, someone's already texted in this morning. It's like, I don't know, Bart from Winnipeg or something. I don't know who you are. It, 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 it disgust, contempt, I'm spitting. Oh, you think that's cold, eh? Yeah, you know what? If you live somewhere cold, that's your problem. Yeah. But it's We're not also not prepared for it. Like, we don't have these massive parkas. Plus, it's a wet right? cold. It's not a dry cold. Well, I think you guys are missing right the point, that. though. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like, it's not anything to either lord over someone mm-hmm. or point out as a statement of some weird braggadocio that you live somewhere where it's ridiculously cold. That's your problem. My problem is um, I have to exist in that moment for like today, right? I don't live there. You yeah. live there. That's your problem. Don't put your problems on me, okay? Mm-hmm. Bort or Bart from Winnipeg, whatever your name is. I will say this. Um, dr- I was very skeptical about driving in this morning because when the weather hit yesterday, this is true. Everyone lost their collective minds and nobody had any idea what they were. The, dr- the roads were awful yesterday. Yeah. Right around 3 o'clock, pickup time for the kids, just chaos everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving the 2023 RDX. And I, it's not just that it's got the, the snow mode. It's that it's got this little knob in the console, and you just click it a couple yeah. times. And then this big on-screen graphic comes, and it changes, like, color, and it shows the car, and it shows the integrated dynamic system. It's got that big plow, too, doesn't it? It also has the big plow. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have a plow. <laughs> in any case anyone goes to Bird Accurate today, the cars do not come equipped with a plow. However, if you want to go check them out, no better time to get into a snow-safe vehicle. So visit them today, North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley or Bird Acura on Terminal Avenue. Okay, let's go to the phone lines now. We are on the eve of Wild Card Weekend in the National Football League. Six games Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a virtual buffet of football. Joining us now to break it all down, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? Hey, now, that is super wild card weekend to you and to everybody else. It's true. <laughs> it is a super wild card week. I love the format. I am hoping, though, Nick, that this year, unlike the previous couple of years, we get more entertaining, close, down-to-the-wire games than years past. And I, you know what? I actually think that the potential is there to do that. So let's run through these games. We're going to do things a little differently, and we will get into some of the offseason coaching news. But I want to run through all six games uh, in chronological order. I'm going to get you to break them down real quick and then pick your winner. Okay, can we do that? We good? Yeah, it sounds good. Perfect. We're going to start with the first game Saturday, 1.30 kickoff our time. It's old man Joe Flacco and the Browns against young man C.J. Stroud. Do the Texans only play playoff games on Saturdays? I don't know, do they? It always seems like they're they they're do on the, feel like they're a Saturday on, playoff. They're on the Saturday, and and the difference is this time people want to watch this one. This is true. Well, yeah. one thirty our time Saturday. Old man Flacco and the Browns. Young man Stroud and the Texans. Uh, who do you like in this one? I got Browns twenty seven, Texans twenty one. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I like that you brought up the whole Saturday thing because uh, my our dear late friend uh, Chris Westling, he was a longtime Bengals fan, and he officially had given up on the Bengals because they kept losing Saturday playoff games to the Texans right. uh, on Wild Card Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it was a nice little tie there. But um, he, uh, it, it, this is a matchup that I, I go back and forth on. I think the Browns have a lot of juice right now, and Joe Flacco's playing, you know. With all, all you know, basically reckless abandon. He's just doing whatever he wants because I mean, what, what is there to lose at this point at 38 years old? But 
it's just, you know, the, the earlier Browns game against the Texans in this matchup earlier this season is just cannot be looked at as a good judgment or a good predictor of what's to come because C.J. Stroud didn't play in that game. And Amari Cooper set a franchise record for receiving in that game, and it was just a little wonky. Um, I think it's going to be much closer. I think it's going to be a bit of a shootout, not so much in terms of total points, but in terms of yards. And I'm really curious to see if the Browns' defense can hold up because they've statistically been the best this year, but they have not been the best on the road. And um, they've been dealing with a ton of injuries, as everybody knows. So we'll see if they can hold up against the uh, likely offensive rookie of the year. Uh, you talked about a potential shootout. That's certainly what we've got in the second game of the weekend. So Saturday, 5 o'clock kickoff our time. The high-powered offenses of KC and Miami, they're going to do battle at Arrowhead. It's also a chance for Tyreek Hill to face his former Chiefs teammates. Uh, who do you like here? But is it a, a high-powered offense in Kansas City? Well, that's a good offense. point. High-powered offense yeah, with a lot gotta... of drops. Yeah, we can go with that. I mean, I was stunned uh, to see Patrick Mahomes still through for, you know, uh, basically like a, a top six, top five uh, statistical finish in, in passing yards uh, because they just drop everything and they seem like they can't do anything. But I have the Dolphins 23 to 17. It's because I don't trust that, that Chiefs offense. I just don't. Um, I, I look at them as a team with wasted potential on the offensive side of the ball, and namely at, at quarterback, not because he's wasting it, but because everybody around him is wasting their opportunities save for Rasheed Rice and uh and I guess Isaiah Pacheco and obviously Travis Kelsey but uh they're you know they're paying the price for trying to stay competitive and maybe skimping at receiver a little bit and some of their swings and have have not hit you know at receiver uh you know Sky Moore being one of them and Marquez Valdez-Scanling being another one and even the return of Miko Hardman has not worked out well for them so uh, they're going to play a Miami team that I think is also going to struggle against a great Chiefs defense and in the elements it's going to become a toss-up. The only reason I went Dolphins there is just because I do not trust this Chiefs offense. I've watched them give me every reason in the book through an entire season to not trust them, and that's why I go with Miami. Uh, we're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're running through all of the wildcard matchups this weekend in the National Football League. Uh, Sunday, 10 a.m., it's the Steelers and it's the Bills from Buffalo. This so, is the one that I'm most interested in. Jason sent a text last night when we were running through. We do do show prep, contrary to what you hear on a daily basis here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. And you, you said like you that number really did jump out. It's yeah. the biggest number on the board. The Bills are 10-point favorites. Now, the game's in Buffalo, and we get it, but it just feels like an awfully big number, given that I don't know if there's that much between these well, two Well, T.J. Watt is out. I know. And, that, and, that, he, and that's big, and Mason Rudolph's the, the quarterback. But I know I, that. Too. But maybe as guys that watch the Steelers come into Seattle and do whatever they wanted against the Seahawks, especially on the ground, we have an appreciation for this Steelers team that has faced a lot of adversity this season and still managed to find its way into the playoffs. Ten points is a lot. What do you what do you think, Nick? Um, I think that those who are are you know kind of projecting this game are probably holding the Steelers accountable for crimes that Mason Rudolph never committed. And uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Steelers can put up the points that they've been able to put up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it, I am still going with the Bills, but I'm not going with a blowout like everyone else. We just talked about this on my podcast last night where we had some wildly different predictions. I have, uh, I believe I had uh, Bills 27, Steelers 21. And uh, and I think that there's going to be able to put up just enough points to make it interesting, but the Bills are going to find a way to you know because they have their own offensive issues. Let's not you know let's not overlook that they are a hot team in terms of the fact that they've won games, but you know they obviously had to run the table to get here. 
but they still aren't a flawless operation on either side of the football. So I think that the Steelers defense, despite all the injuries that they've dealt with and, and some of the people that they've lost and they won't have TJ Watt, um, they're still going to present quite a challenge for Josh Allen and the bills. It's just that, you know, I, I don't think that the Steelers potential, I, I worry about, you know, the whole thing that we had to deal with with Deontay Johnson, George Pickens and, it's not that it's going to matter in the playoffs, but it isn't going to matter if they go down by two touchdowns in Buffalo and they start getting to their feelings. I don't know. Um, but I got the Bills because I just trust them more, even though Mike Tomlin's done another great job getting the Steelers to this point. Is Josh Allen the most entertaining player to watch in the NFL? Because you know what he can do in a good way, but also in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, man, he can make some big mistakes as well. Yeah, I, I, see, I'm always I'm, I'm of the belief that I want people to do well unless I'm like sitting back and thinking, Oh, you know what? Uh, this is where it all goes down in a ball of flames. And yeah, he's pretty entertaining. He is. He's very entertaining. I, I could think of probably a few other players that are more entertaining, but you're right. It's like, it's kind of like a car crash, you know, like, Oh, Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, I got to turn back and watch it again. Yeah. This is kind of, that's definitely been his season this year. Yeah, I really like the guy, and I've, I've I've liked the guy right right off the bat. Even when he kind of struggled to start his career, you could tell he was a guy that like he played with courage for a quarterback. And a lot of that is because he's a big dude and he can play with courage. He can run guys over if he has to. But um, how did he play down the stretch? Because um, I didn't watch every Buffalo Bills game, and you know their first game against the Jets, that disastrous, although entertaining game against the Jets, like it's still stuck in my mind a little bit. Well, you know what happened was the Bills decided that they wanted to run the football traditionally, and it really opened everything else up offensively because they relied way too much on Josh as both a runner and a passer, and um, and you know, teams basically knew that that was what they had to focus on. And it, it put too much on his shoulders and he was pressing and trying to be the hero too much. And that's what produced a lot of these turnovers. Now in these last three games, he's also thrown four interceptions, but they've won these games and he's thrown, you know, three touchdowns and, and it found ways to help them win games. Uh, it, it, none of them have been pretty. I really don't think so. Uh, probably the most attractive one was, I don't know, Miami uh, mm-hmm. to close the season and win the division. I mean, the Dallas game was a blowout, but he threw, you know, he completed seven passes in that game. It was seven for 15 for 94 yards because they ran the ball so well. So that's really what mattered. And it has mattered to this team for so long is balancing out the offense and figuring out how to take some of that load off of Josh's shoulders so that then he can come back and be an even better player within the offense, um, which is now, by the way, Joe Brady's offense, the, uh, the, the offensive coordinator who was one of many that have been scapegoated out of Charlotte, North Carolina in the last few years. <laughs> okay, let's get back on track here. We've got three more games to go. Fourth game, uh, that is a one thirty kickoff our time on the Sunday. Historic rivalry renewed between the Packers and the Cowboys. It's coming from Jerry World in Dallas. Cowboys, seven and a half point favorites. Your thoughts on this one? You know, I, I sit back and watch the Packers in the last month and a half, and I think, man, I'd love to see them continue their season beyond this weekend just because Jordan Love is so much fun to watch. I mean, he, this kid, you're watching him blossom in real time and just get all the confidence in the world, and he's starting to attempt some of those unorthodox throws that Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre did for so many years, and he's pulling it off, and that's what makes it so much fun. It's just a young team. It's fun to watch under Matt LaFleur, but the Cowboys are a beast at home. They're just too good at home. Dak Prescott probably should get more MVP consideration than he's gotten to this point. Uh, and 
you know, that whole night in Buffalo when they lost that game kind of torpedoed his whole campaign when otherwise he's had a really good year. Him, CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, they've really opened up the offense in the back half of the season. I, I really enjoy watching them when they have the football. Uh, so I think that, you know, we're, they're at home. They're, they've been just dominant. They've won 16 straight and everything's great. Um, I think that the Packers are going to make it interesting, but the Cowboys end up pulling away. I my projection was 30 to 20 Cowboys. I'm going to have another side here because you're talking about the defense of the Dallas Cowboys. Well, Dan Quinn is the defensive coordinator in Dallas. What do you think about the speculation that he's going to be the next head coach of the Seattle Seahawks? Uh, I think it fits an interesting coaching market in which we have a lot of uh, changing of the guards with certain franchises that are trying to move on maybe from, from one style or approach. And then they are immediately paired up with coaches who came from that tree. Uh, Mike Vrabel with the Patriots, Dan Quinn with the Seahawks. Let's, let's branch out and find some, some, you know, lack of familiarity. If you're going to get rid of one of these guys and you want a fresh start, let's go in a different direction. Having Mm -hmm. said that uh, it does make a lot of sense. And Dan Quinn, I mean, he earned head coaching interviews last year because of the way the Cowboys defense played and ended up just kind of pulling back and saying, I'm staying in Dallas. So he's been a head coach before. I think it's an ideal replacement if you want to you know, continue on this trajectory, but uh, we'll see. I, I'm, the fact that Pete got fired was a shock. So I think anything's you know possible with this club right now. Uh, we're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. We're whipping through NFL Wild Card Weekend, Super Wild Card Weekend, fifth game. Let's get to it. It's the Sunday nighter, five o'clock our time. I might be into this game more than any of the other ones because there's so much revenge on the line. I don't even know who has more revenge to exact. You've got Matt Stafford returning to Detroit to take on his old team. Now he's the quarterback of the Rams. You got Jared Goff facing his old team, who chucked him away so that they could get. Get Stafford and then win the Super Bowl. So it's the Revenge Bowl uh, from Detroit. Who do you like here, Rams or Lions? You've got Josh Reynolds, who was drafted by the Rams. That's right. And had to go elsewhere and got claimed off of waivers to land in Detroit, where he's had a nice little resurgence with Jared Goff. Um, I'm picking the Lions 31 to 30, but I think this is truly the greatest toss of the weekend. I could see any scenario uh, play out there. You know, obviously, all the pressure that comes with Detroit hosting its first playoff game since the days of the Pontiac Silverdome, uh, it's, it's going to be a big moment for them, but I'm also worried that this is a team that maybe might not deliver in those moments. I point back to Thanksgiving when everybody thought that they were going to be the Packers and they did not, and they didn't really compete in that game. This is obviously a lot different, but I just do concern. I'm, I'm concerned about that in the back of my head. Uh, Matt Stafford and Sean McVay are, you know, have made the Rams into a really fun team to watch way more fun than I think anybody anticipated. And it's because, you know, Stafford's healthy. Uh, he's got a great arm and he's been doing, you know, fantastic things. Some of the best things in his career because of the way that he's been working with Sean McVay and this offense. And we've seen the results of Puka Nakua and everything else with that team. Nobody expected them to be in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, but I think that ultimately I'm going to go Lions 31 30. And it, like I said, a true toss up game. It could go either way. Uh, it's going to be really fun to watch Stafford take the field. I hope they don't boo too much. I hope they wear their Stafford Lions jerseys. If I was a Lions <laughs> fan, I, that's what I would wear to this game because, you know, appreciation for him. But, man, I really hope the Lions win. Just not, and I don't hope they win, but I, it would be fun to see them win just to see Jared Goff walk up to the podium after the game and have to continue to control his emotions like he did this week very professionally when it comes to Sean McVay, who sent him out of town for, you know, nothing more than – well, Matthew Stafford, who won them the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I prefer them him to not control his emotions because yeah. that would be a lot more interesting. Lose it. Yeah, but you know how he is. <laughs> you know? I mean, he, wasn't, 
He's just he's a he's a mild guy, you know. That's just kind of how he is. Uh, final game. It's the Monday nighter, five o'clock our time. I'm trying to think of a team going in to the playoffs in worse shape than the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Last and certainly least, there's yeah. this game, and uh, then there's the Buccaneers who are there because they play in the NFC South. Your thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I gotta ask the schedule makers, what are you guys doing? Yeah, you know, know. Monday know. night. You know, I mean, I guess. You know, you get all your fill, and then it's like, oh, there's also this game. Um, it's, it's. I think it's going to be a little ugly. Uh, the Eagles have been pretty bad for the last month and a half. The Buccaneers are banged up, and they have struggled in the last couple of games. After they were in a really fun month, uh, you know, to close December, and uh, the last two games have not been very inspiring. So Baker Mayfield's very banged up. Um, this has been a fun story with him and the Buccaneers, and. I have no idea if it's going to continue or not because I don't know which team they're going to be. Is it the team that can move the ball well? Rashad White can run the ball well and balance out the offense. The defense can force some turnovers, or is it going to be the offense that you know only is just relying on you know chucking it up to Mike Evans because nobody else is open and Baker has no time to throw? And you know if he's hurt, you know he's under pressure. Wants to get the ball out a little bit quicker. I don't know. Uh, and we already know, you know, the Eagles have a, a number of issues starting with the defensive side of the football. So my prediction, my prediction in this game was uh, Eagles 17, Buccaneers 16. And it sounds as gross. It's going to be as gross as that. Uh, <laughs> either team could win. And I think by the time we get to the end of it, we'll just be glad that we're at the end of it. Okay, before we let you go, I do want to ask about this morning's news, and that was that the New England Patriots wasted no time, and they have a new head coach, Gerard Mayo. For those asking, huh, that sounds familiar, that's because he just finished playing football. He was a linebacker for the Patriots as recently as 2015. They go from the oldest, or one of the oldest head coaches in the NFL, and Bill Belichick, to one of the youngest, because Mayo is 37 years old. He gets elevated from inside linebackers coach. It makes me feel old, because I distinctly remember him playing football, and now he's the head coach of the Patriots. So there's a lot of takeaways there. There's also the other one that doesn't necessarily pertain to this hiring, but who they didn't hire. And that's Mike Vrabel, who I think a lot of people thought was going to go back to new England. He's now still available to be hired as a head coach. So in light of everything I've just thrown out there, Nick, what was your big takeaway upon hearing that Gerard Mayo is now the head coach of the new England Patriots? I think it was no surprise that, um, you know, you saw his name tossed out there immediately when they moved on from Belichick. I also think that, you know, Robert Kraft is not interested in coming in with a completely different approach. I just think that, you know, if there's ever time to part with Belichick and get some, you know, fresh blood in there in charge and basically like, you know, the collegiate ranks, you get the coach in waiting situation. Like we got the Jimbo Fisher coach in waiting situation at right. Florida state back in the day. This is kind of like that. Um, it was shocking, obviously that Belichick moved on and um, we knew it was a possibility for a long time now because of how they've struggled so much. But the Gerard Mayo elevation, I think, fits exactly what you know. Some people just saw in him, future head coach, you know, that the type that was going to command the room and uh, and have an opportunity to do this. I was a little surprised that uh, Vrabel wasn't more of a consideration, but I don't think the Patriots are planning on Vrabel being available. And by the time, I think actually, I think part that's part of what these three days of meetings in New England were between Belichick and Kraft. It wasn't just about Belichick's job. I think it was also about putting the franchise on the right track going forward by hiring Gerard Mayo. That stuff doesn't happen that quickly otherwise. So there's a guy who played under Belichick, uh, had many years of experience on that staff, and is a rising star of a coach. Uh, I think it will be a nice fit, and hopefully they can execute because he's he's going to have to figure out how to work with a, a GM, you know, and, and player personnel executive and, and 
rebuild this roster. That's what's yeah. more important than anything. This roster is devoid of talent. They're just not good enough right now. And so hopefully he can do it. Nick, you are the best. Thank you very much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the games this weekend. Yes, even the Monday Nighter. And we will do this again next Friday. Hey, as we say every time, this time of year, every year, have a super weekend. <laughs> you have a super weekend too, friend. Thanks, Nick. That's Nick Shook from Super Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. By the way, as the coaching carousel turns, there's news out of Tennessee this morning that they are interviewing Antonio Pierce, who, of course, took over for the Raiders in the middle of the season mm-hmm. and actually got them to play really good football and seemed like he, he was a leading candidate to keep that job that he had on an interim basis. But he's keeping his options open by applying for Mike Vrabel's old job in Tennessee. By the That's way, awesome. He's going, like, you want to keep your options open? I'm going to keep mine off. Keep I would do it. There's yeah. like eight, there's eight, well, seven jobs now because Gerard Mayo took the, the Patriots mm-hmm. job. But there's seven jobs available. I would, I stand by what I said earlier in the week. If I'm John Schneider, and I'm the Seattle Seahawks, and I guess I'm Jody Allen. I'm all of them. Um, I'm hiring Mike Vrabel like yesterday. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. you know what? Mike Vrabel could look at this team and he's be like, you know what? If you're not going to tackle the running back, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out here with no pads. He's got like that talking effect on, on the team. It's like, dude, That's watch, some of the, watch some of the stuff I used to do. Yeah. Now you do this. I made tackles and then I catch touchdowns in the Super Bowl. That's all I did as a player. Yeah. That's Mike Vrabel, right? I mean, he look. you look at him on the sidelines and he does have a talk-it-esque mm-hmm. presence about him. And right. I know this sounds stupid and very surface-level analysis, but I think that if you look at like the job that Antonio Pierce did in Vegas, and you look, what did the um, New England Patriots just hire as their head coach? A very young guy, not that far removed from his playing days, who everyone remembers as a player. I do think that that's important, right? I think that you need to go in a different direction, almost a 180 from Pete, and I mm-hmm. think getting a guy that like is that close to his playing days, has the respect of guys that are playing right now, I would honestly... I. I get Dan Quinn as a hire. I do. I understand why it makes a lot of sense. You bring him back home. He has had a ton of success as a defensive coordinator. He's been a head coach before. I get that he ticks a lot of the boxes, but for me, if you can get Vrabel, go and get Vrabel. I really you know, hope that you, you know what I like about both those guys, though, Vrabel and Dan Quinn, is that they've already had head coaching jobs. For sure. And I, think I don't that think matters. this is the right situation to bring in a first time head coach. I, I agree with you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that they need to go and reinvent the wheel or try and do something outside the box here. There are good head coaching candidates available. Yeah. Quinn is one of them. Vrabel's one of them. For me, though, I just think Vrabel should be the guy. I hope I, that they go and get him. I think the guys coming out of their uh, first or second jobs, even if those jobs haven't gone perfectly, like Rick Tockett didn't go perfectly for him in Tampa Bay and Arizona, and you learn and you have experience. Do you think it went well? Do you think it went well for Pete Carroll with the, the Jets and the Patriots? No. It wasn't perfect. It didn't Bill last Belichick long. Bill Belichick with the Browns. Bill Belichick with the Browns, right? You learn from these experiences. Um we're going to talk to AJ from AJ's Pizza coming up next, uh, and then we've got an open segment. So text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. I have a question for all of you. Is it going to be tough for Canucks fans to change their mindsets from constantly being sellers at the deadline to being buyers? You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.